Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as interim pastor Kyle Julius shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Kyle. Good morning, everybody. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. Uh, We're going to continue our study this morning uh, through this uh, wonderful, rich Old Testament book. We're going to be picking up in Jonah 1.17, looking through the entire chapter of uh, chapter 2. Jonah 1, starting in verse 17, if you would read along with me. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard, pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O sovereign God, we thank you that you have invited us into your presence through faith in Jesus Christ. And that you speak to us today through your word. What you have spoken then, you speak now. And may we have hearts and ears to hear and receive. Father, I pray that in this time, the preaching of your word would glorify you and edify your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there is an old British nursery rhyme uh, that is about a cat who goes to Buckingham Palace to see His Royal Majesty. Uh, The nursery rhyme asks, Little cat, little cat, what did you do there? And the cat says, I chased a tiny mouse up under a chair. In other words, the cat got distracted. He forgot why he came to the palace in the first place. Well, our passage this morning has a dozen theological, hermeneutical, and perhaps scientific mice that we could chase. I spent a few moments this week chasing them myself. 
But we did not gather here this morning to chase mice. We didn't gather here to be distracted by uh, all of the uh, secondary issues that could rise up in these chapters of Jonah. Uh, We gathered here this morning to see the king. Uh, As one pastor put it, uh, when you approach the Bible, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. And it is the plain things that elevate and exalt in the person and work of Jesus. And so that's what I want us to do here this morning. While we have, uh, may have probing questions about Jonah being inside the belly of a fish, uh, and how Jonah too might fit into the rest of the story of Jonah, uh, let us instead marvel and gaze at the sovereign king of the universe that this chapter invites us to see. We looked last week at Jonah chapter 1, and we, we, we discovered that the primary emphasis of all of the book of Jonah was that God is sovereign. If I could sum up Jonah 1 through 4, it is that God is sovereign. It begins with now the word of the Lord. And Jonah chapter 4, verse 11 ends with the word of the Lord. As if the author communicates to us, God has the first say and the final say in all matters over the universe, in all matters in our own lives. And so the theme of God's sovereignty is going to continue as we look at verses uh, chapter 117 through all of chapter 2. Only now the emphasis is going to be that God is not only sovereign over the direction of our lives, but that God is sovereign over the suffering of our lives. That God is sovereign over our suffering, over our hardship, over our circumstances that we find ourselves in. And, and it's one thing to state that, right? It's one thing for me to say that God is sovereign over our suffering, or to us to be able to affirm that God is sovereign over our suffering. Uh, but what does it mean for God to be sovereign over our suffering? Uh, what, what kind of implications does that have in our lives that God is sovereign over every hardship and difficulty and unwanted scenarios that come into our lives? Well, I think this morning here, friends, that our text reveals six truths about what it means for God to be sovereign over our suffering. We have six truths. And you might be asking yourself, does that mean we have six points? That is exactly what that means. I told my wife this week that I had six points and she looked at me like, Six? And I said, yes, six. And I thought, maybe I can break this up between part one and part two. But if you're anything like me, I don't like uh, to wait for the next week for my next, uh, my favorite show to come out with their next episode. So I figured I would just give it all in one presentation here and pray that God would help me wrap up in a timely manner. So we have six truths here this morning about what it means for God to be sovereign over our suffering. The first truth is this. For God to be sovereign over our suffering means none of our suffering is accidental. Uh, Look with me in verse uh, 17a. Uh, The scene opens up this morning with, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Uh, Again, like last week, I don't want to rush by or simply gloss over the big truths that often come in small packages here. Uh, There's much that we can unearth from this one verse in verse 17. It's a wonder that I have been able to study and savor the book of Jonah. Uh, After seeing, I've watched my two personal greatest fears play out before me. Uh, Being out in the vastness of the sea and being swallowed by a great fish. (laughs) I I, I mean, you know, out of the many things that I fear in the ocean, one of them is the, the amount of wildlife that I cannot control and that could easily swallow me whole. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine uh, just the scenario and the scene that verse 17 gives us? Uh, The author here uses vivid language in this verse to help us picture and to see the severity and to feel the weight of Jonah's circumstance. Notice the author uh, says that God appointed a great fish and it swallowed up Jonah. Not a mediocre fish that came and scooped them up or not another boat with another captain who threw Jonah a life preserver heading into the direction he should have been going. But the author writes, and God had appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah. Talk about going through it. And this great fish that swallowed up Jonah is going to be the cause of his distress and the prayer that we look at in chapter 2. But this is not, friends, listen, this is not just any great fish. I think we get caught up in the weeds here when we're like, well, what kind of fish was this? Was it a whale? And how can an individual sit in a whale for three days and three nights uh, you know, and survive? And how does that work biologically? And, and what is going on here? But I think the point the author is trying to show us is not scientific or biological, but it's theological. And what we have here is that this is not just any great fish. It doesn't matter what kind of fish is this is because this was the fish that God had appointed for Jonah. This was God's appointed fish to swallow up Jonah. Uh, The fish did not just happen to be there in the wrong place at the wrong time, which we so often think that our suffering or hardship seems to be. Have you guys ever just been going through a season and then think, man, this is a bad time for me to be going through this, for this to happen right now? We've all been there. We've all been like, "This this couldn't be a worse time for this to come into my life. And yet, this fish was on a divine mission to fulfill God's purpose in Jonah's life. Uh, There's a scene in Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, uh, and and some of you Lord of the Rings nerds are going to be buzzing about this, and some of you guys might be lost, so if you're lost, you can just fall asleep during this portion here. Um, But there's a scene in The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf, the great wizard, is riding into the Shire on his horse and buggy, and Frodo Baggins comes along the side of the road and says, You're late. To which Gandalf replies, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Uh, Don't try that one on your boss. I've tried it. Uh, It doesn't work. Uh, but But that is the case with all of our hardship and suffering and circumstances that cause our distress in our lives. It arrives precisely when God means it to under the divine appointment of our sovereign God. Never by accident, never by chance. Our circumstances are never early or late, but precisely when God appoints. So it was with the great fish in Jonah, and so it is with whatever it is in our life that feels greater than we can bear and feels as though it is consuming and perhaps swallowing up everything around you. As Jonah's fish, this great fish that swallowed him up, was appointed by God, so everything that comes our way in our lives is appointed by a sovereign God. Our suffering does not have its source in an indifferent, impersonal force of chance, but appointed by a compassionate, 
personal and sovereign God. Steve had mentioned this morning that not only is God sovereign, but God is imminent in his sovereignty. In other words, that means he is close to each and every single individual, especially of his people who go through trying, difficult seasons. Even if those trying and difficult seasons were uh, accounted for based on our personal decisions. Notice Jonah is being swallowed up by a fish uh, because of what led him to this point anyway. Jonah decided to avoid and be apathetic uh, and to run from the will of God over his life, and now he finds himself in his circumstances. And so we see this beautiful tension between the sovereignty of God and our individual choices, and yet God is sovereign. We walk away seeing that God is over every single bit of this. And one of the questions that might be running through your minds right now when it comes to God appointing the suffering or the difficulty in our lives is does that God, does that then make God the author of all evil? Well, I have two responses to that one right now, and hopefully they go well because they're not written down in my manuscript. One, to ask that question in the face of difficulty in our life is to assume that all difficulty is categorized as evil. That all of our suffering, our, our difficulty, has to be categorized as evil. Because we live in a day and age right now where if I don't feel good, if I'm not happy, if I don't have everything that I want in my life, or my life is not panning out the way that it should, that means it's evil. And that is not true, friends. That is the farthest from the truth. And the second thing I would answer to that is, though God is not the author of evil, He is not the author of sin, He is not the one who's tempting us, because James makes clear that God tempts nobody, We do know that every single worker, kingdom of darkness, has to get permission from the sovereign God to do anything. In other words, God might not be the mover of of bad and difficulty, but he certainly is the approver of all of it in our lives. There's not a single moment that goes by where God has not measured and weighed and given all of the suffering that comes to our life. And And, and, you know, this goes up against every notion that we uh, tend to believe. Um, You know, you've heard it said that God is not going to give us more than we can handle. Can I just tell you, there's nowhere in the Bible that it actually says that. There's nowhere in the New Testament where it says God is not going to give you more than you can handle. Friends, most of the time, God is going to give you more than you can handle. And it is going to be difficult. And it might cause suffering. And it might cause distress. And it might be uncomfortable. Trust me, I don't think Jonah was comfortable in the belly of a whale. But know that the appointer of our suffering and our trials of various kinds is appointed by a compassionate, personal, sovereign God who loves his people deeply, more than we know. So the first truth about God being sovereign over our suffering is that God, that our suffering is not accidental, but it is appointed by a sovereign God. The second truth about God being sovereign over our suffering means there is an expiration date to our suffering. There's an expiration date to our suffering. Look at the end of verse 17. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In other words, God had set a time limit on Jonah's time in the belly of the whale. In other words, there's a time limit on our trials and sufferings. Jonah did not know this was going to be a three-day and three-night ordeal, but God did. God knew that the time limit he would put on Jonah's distress 
was what it was going to be and what purpose it was going to serve. And boy, did God have a purpose in even the time frame he had set on Jonah's suffering. And how do we know that God had, had, you know, even in the details of how long Jonah was going to be in the belly of the fish, how do we know that God had a beautiful purpose in that timeline? Well, we just heard Steve read about it this morning. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Talk about God having a beautiful plan in the details of Jonah's darkest moment. We might think when we come across suffering or endure hardship or find ourselves in difficulty that we might not have asked for, we might think that there is no greater purpose that this is serving Or we might be going through it for a very long time and we might think that God has all of a sudden forgotten about how long we have been going through this. Friends, know that even in the timeline of all of our difficulties, God is serving a much greater purpose and He knows when it's going to begin, when it's going to end. And He knows, I mean, think about it. God had redemption woven into the timeline of Jonah being in the deep. God had redemption woven into the fabric of the suffering of Jonah. He had Jesus in mind and how that was going to actually point to Jesus and glorify Him all the more. It would serve as a sign, Jesus says. So let let me ask you, if Jonah's time in the depth served to point to Jesus, can it also be true that our suffering can serve to point to Jesus? No matter how long it lasts, in fact, how long, whether short or long, seems to be just as important to God. Just as our suffering is by divine appointment, so our suffering also comes with the divine expiration date. And it is also meant to point to the beauty of Jesus. And more than point to the beauty of Jesus, it is for the conforming of us into the image of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28-29, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good for those who were called according to his purpose. You know, Jonah was still called to according to the purpose of God, even though he had rebelled and found himself in the deep right now. Jonah was still called according to the purpose of God, and those who are in Christ are still called to the purpose. And Paul writes, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So friends, know that your suffering or difficulty or whatever it is that you brought into the sanctuary this morning has been appointed by God and it has an expiration date. It might not be three literal days and three literal nights, but there is a time fixed in heaven and God is not losing track of that time. Just as I might lose track of time while preaching this sermon here this morning, God is not losing track of time over what's going on in your life. He sees, He knows, He's appointed, He's fixed it. The third truth of God being sovereign over our suffering is that God being sovereign over our suffering means our suffering can't separate us from God. Look at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. This prayer of Jonah opens. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Uh, Notice something we could miss. Again, we usually miss the small things. Notice the author referred to the Lord as his God. 
Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. In other words, even Jonah's waywardness and rebellion did not make Yahweh any less his God. Is that not good news for us? That God is still our God even when we miss the point. Even when we wander. Even when we suffer. Even when we experience that which we would never choose on our own. It can still be said that God is still our God. Uh, But that is just one indication that suffering will not separate us from God. Notice Jonah prays to God, and our text says that out of his distress, God what? Answered him. And out of the depths he cried, and God heard him. Friends, there's no circumstance or amount of suffering that can separate us from the love of God. And Jonah knew this out of the suffering that God had brought to his life. Jonah knew this well. The Apostle Paul knew this well. When he writes again in Romans 8, 35-39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can search high and low that list that Paul just wrote out, and you will not find a single thing in all creation that will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ cannot be separated from Christ no matter what is in our lives. How easy it is uh, for us to be tempted into thinking and feeling God has abandoned us in our darkest hour. I mean, we've all felt that, right? We've all felt the moment in our lives where, where things are going completely south or things are not going the way according to what we have prayed or what we have uh, dreamed or imagined in our lives. And then it is easy for us to feel as though God's face is no longer shining upon us in those moments that we are separated from God, or that we've gone wrong somehow, that we have gone too far wrong for God's blessing and favor to be over us because I've made all the bad decisions in my life. I have done too much that God's sovereignty cannot overrule and have favor and grace in my life. And yet we see the silent and sleepy prophet pray in his deepest, darkest depth that God heard him there. God heard him. And God not only heard him, but God answered him. And how easy it is for us to think that God is also silent in our suffering. And yet Jonah prays here that out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard me. There is no depth that can disrupt the communion that God has with his people. No amount of suffering can separate us from the love of God in Christ, for Christ, the suffering servant, endured that, so we did not have to. When Jesus is hanging upon the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, became the object of the wrath of God, separated from his Father, so that those who are in Christ could never, will never experience the separation 
that Jesus' suffering brought him on the cross. Therefore, our suffering is not going to bring the separation of God in our lives. Uh, the fourth truth we see in this prayer about God being sovereign over our suffering, God being sovereign over our suffering means our, so, uh, our suffering is weighed and measured. Uh, we read further. Notice verses 3 through 6. And, and, and again, we have to pay attention to the language and the words that are being used repeatedly. For you, praise Jonah, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Uh, notice verse 3, how many times Jonah attributed things to God. It says, for you cast me into the deep. All your waves in your billows passed over me. Think about this. There's not a single wave of anything in your life. Not a single billow. And I looked up, by the way, uh, I know we've, we've sung that beautiful hymn, like, uh, um, peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. You know, I, I sing that, and, and I, I kind of had an understanding of what a billow was, but I looked up on Google, uh, what is a billow? And uh, the only the definition I saw for it was a large, obtrusive object of something, like a large something. And usually it refers to water. Um, but think about that. The waves, waves have size, waves have measure, billows have size and measure. And, and, and Jonah prays, all your waves and your billows passed over me. There's not a single wave of billow that passes that is not weighed and measured out by the sovereign hand of our God. Spurgeon once said, it would be a very sharp and trying experience for me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, and that my trials were never measured out by him nor sent to me by his arrangement or their weight and quantity. David prays something similar in Psalm 42 when he prays, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And so how could Horatio Spafford write the beautiful beloved hymn, It is well, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know why Spafford and David and Jonah could pray and write these things? It is because they knew that all of their suffering was weighed and measured, and whatever lot was given to them, that lot already belonged to the Lord their God. In other words, David prays in Psalm 16, you hold my lot. And so whatever lot, whatever billow, whatever wave has been weighed and measured by the God of the universe. 
Only individuals who know deeply that their lot has been measured and weighed by a sovereign God can sing, it is well, it is well. That actually brings, brings us to our next uh, truth of what it means for God to be sovereign over our suffering. The fifth truth that we find here in our text this morning is that God being sovereign over our suffering means all of our suffering moves us towards God. All of our suffering moves us towards God. We look at verses 7 through 9. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who repay uh, to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, we've seen temple used uh, frequently in this prayer, and some of you might be thinking, uh, how does, uh, where's the temple while he's in the belly of a whale? Um, I think it's important to note that the temple in uh, Israel's day was really just a, a place where God's presence dwelt. So in other words, uh, God is, is still present here with his suffering. You know, I, I think it's interesting that Jonah said it was when his life was fainting away he remembered the Lord. Uh, we all know what it's like to be going through good times and, uh, and to, forget, to forget God. We might not forget God in word, or we might not forget him maybe in, on Sunday morning for an hour, but our lives sometimes reflect this forgetfulness of the sweetness and the grace and the communion we have, the access that we have in Christ to the God of the universe, to the throne of grace, as Hebrews puts it. But what happens when life starts falling apart? What happens when all the stuff that's transient starts fading away? Well, it's usually in those moments well, that we have the same testimony that Jonah here has. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. How many of us remember a dark season in our life or a current suffering right now, and all of a sudden we can say then or we can say now, oh, I remember the Lord. I remember the Lord my God. And not only did Jonah say it was when my life was fading away that he remembered the Lord but, he says, and my prayer came to you. So, so God is moving Jonah towards himself through his distress. In verse 8, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I struggled with this verse this week because I was thinking to myself, was Jonah like reverting back to chapter 1? And maybe, maybe this is a callback to the pagan uh, you know, people on the ship who are worshiping uh, all the multiple deities. And I was thinking to myself, is, is Jonah getting a little bit arrogant here when he says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love? And then it hit me, um, how often in our suffering, in our confusion, do we realize how many idols we've had up on the shelf? How many idols that we've had sitting on the throne of our own heart? You see, suffering weans us. So, so Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Well, that is not just a description of the pagan worshipers on the ship with Jonah. That was a description of Jonah himself. Jonah writes, those who pay regard to vain idols. It's hard. I am hard-pressed to find that Jonah wouldn't be thinking about himself back in chapter 1. 
What did Jonah worship the most? Jonah worshiped Israel, the, the, the nation of Israel the most, rather than God's steadfast love and kindness and character. And we know that because he ran from what God had called him to do, to preach to a nation who is not of Israel, to preach to a nation who is not worthy, who destroyed it, who mocked his people. We know from, from, from Jonah's background here that Jonah, certainly Jonah had idols. Certainly Jonah had idols. And it was when Jonah was put into the deep that Jonah could see his idols all the more clear. God puts you in a dark place and all of a sudden your idols start to, your trinkets and toys and our things that we cling to start to kind of light up a little bit and we can see them all of a sudden. We can see they really don't bring that much light to our life. What looks shiny with the lights on, God puts us in the dark and all of a sudden it starts to look a little bit dim and it starts not working for us and it starts not coming through and it starts to be less and less and less. And so through our suffering, God moves us away from our idols, our idolatry, our dependency on ourselves, our self-sufficiency, uh, our ideas of Him, uh, all of the things that we hold on to dearly, God weans us away from and moves us towards Himself. Jonah had to learn that salvation does not belong to a certain kind of people or a certain kind of nation, or a certain kind of anything, but that salvation belonged to the Lord, the sovereign Lord. Therefore, God could set his salvation on anybody he wants and didn't need Jonah's ideas of who it belonged to to play into effect. And Jonah moves from those who pay regard to vain idols. He says in verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So uh, we see this progression here of communion with God. Uh, Jonah remembers the Lord during the time when his life was fainting away. And then he prays to the Lord and his prayer came to God. And then he recognizes the idolatry that would be embedded into his very worship that he had prior to this. And then he moves on from that to thanksgiving. He moves on to thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Jonah moves into this place of praise and worship, even though he's not out of the belly just yet. You see Jonah moving closer and closer, although he's in the depths, he's moving deeper and deeper into the person of God. It's incredible that Jonah would know such things about God while he's in the depths. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He wasn't blaming God. He wasn't uh, assigning anything to God that was false of who God was. He, wasn't, um, he didn't say, God, I, I deserve better. No, 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 no. It was praise God, salvation belongs to him. And that's where he was brought to in his suffering. So we look at the last implication of what it means for God to be sovereign over our suffering. And it's here in verse 10 at the end of this prayer. God being sovereign over our suffering means our suffering ends in salvation. Our suffering ends in salvation. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. One commentator joked and said even the fish couldn't stomach Jonah. It vomited him out. 
But Jonah's suffering ended ultimately in salvation. Uh, God graciously placed him back on dry land. And and if Jonah's time in the belly of the fish and his being brought out ultimately points to Jesus' death and resurrection, then we have solid ground to say that no matter our plight, being in Christ means being raised to life just as he was. Being in Jesus, no matter where we find ourselves in now, circumstance-wise, this ends in salvation. Whether our suffering results in salvation uh, or deliverance now or in the life to come, resurrection is our future. Resurrection is our future, and it's all because of the suffering servant whom this suffering prophet prefigures. It's because of the suffering prophet who the grave vomited Jesus out because it could not hold a sinless individual. Think about that. Jesus spends three days and three nights because the grave could not hold that. The grave could not hold perfect righteousness. So just as the fish couldn't stomach Jonah, the grave couldn't stomach our Savior. Which means if we're in Him, the grave can't stomach us. And it's not going to be able to hold us. And it's not going to be able to define us. And it's not going to be able to determine and write our story. Our story ends in life for those who are in Christ. Friends, the sign of Jonah was the Son of God. That's what the sign of Jonah was. Jonah's life points to the Son of God. The gospel invitation is one of believing on Him whom the Scriptures point to. Jonah's story points and invites us to this truth as the Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, in accordance with Jonah. Christ was raised, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. What a gospel like that, and what a sovereign God. We can stand firm even in our suffering, knowing that God being sovereign over our suffering means none of it is accidental. That God being sovereign over our suffering means there's an expiration date to all of it. God being sovereign over our suffering means that our suffering cannot separate us from God. That means our suffering is weighed and measured. It means all of our suffering moves us closer into communion with the God of the universe. And that God being sovereign over our suffering means our suffering ends in salvation. Praise Jesus who guarantees this. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are the appointer, the, the measurer, the, uh, the one who draws us closer to yourself. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that the story doesn't end with Jonah, but that it only began with Christ, the one whom Jonah points to. Father, I pray that each and every single one in this room would be reminded of resurrection hope. Uh, Lord, it's easy for us to, uh, 
to lose hope because sometimes our hope is put into the things that won't last. Our hope is put into circumstances that will change. Our hope is put into things that will fade, that will go away. Father, lift our hope. Put our hope in the resurrection. Put our hope in the one who can truly give life, who is raised and seated up on the throne and who's going to bring us where he is one day. Father, I pray that that's where our hope would be. I pray for those who are suffering now, whether it's internal or external. May they know there's a God who loves and cares and sees and appoints and sets time limits. May they know Christ. May they see and hope in Christ. And uh, Lord, may we just glory in the resurrected King. It's in Jesus' name. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.